Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like, it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow, and this is the Goop Podcast, where we bring together thought leaders, scientists, healers, creatives, and seekers. I'm so grateful to be able to interview these bright minds and share their incredible wisdom with you. And I especially love listening to the conversations that are led by my brilliant co-host and friend, Erica Chitty. Erica is the CEO and co-founder of Loom, and she's been a part of the Goop family since the beginning days. We believe that simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. I'll let Erica fill you in on her guest today. My guest today is Melody Beattie. Melody is the best-selling author of Codependent No More, which she originally published in 1986. She recently updated it this year, and it's a book that I highly recommend reading if you're not one of the millions of people who already have done so. Today, Melody and I talk about the roots of codependency and how she first came to understand this term. We also talk about Melody's path towards healing and self-love, her own trauma and anxiety, and why she felt called to update her groundbreaking book. Okay, let's get right to my conversation with Melody Beattie. It's really an honor to be talking to you. Your book, which is up here, is the revised version, but, you know, I've been reading your work for a long time. I have the app and, you know, your work has been so synonymous with a lot of my own personal healing and growth over the years. So it's really exciting to be talking to you. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. My work has helped me too. <laughs> yeah. and, my, and my family. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, that's, I think that's the whole piece too, is just the the, the system, not just us as individuals, you know, how does how does this work translate? So I'm just going to dive right in. And I think where I would love to start is some people might not be familiar. As I stated, I'm deeply familiar with your work and it's had a great impact on my life. But you wrote this seminal book that you've now revised back in the 80s called Codependent No More, which now is one of the most read self-help books of all time. Can you Tell us a little bit about how you came to understand this term when you when you were working as a counselor. 
which with as much difficulty as people try to understand the term now, it's a word that makes no sense. It didn't make sense back then, but all right, if you want the whole story, I had married a man who was the director of the treatment center that I ultimately began working in. And I was hired to do office work, which was about as good as I could expect as a woman in those days. But I wanted to be a counselor. I had gone through my own addictions and recovery, and I wanted to give back to people. I wanted to help others the way I had been helped. And so I settled for a job doing office work in this treatment center in Minnesota. And one day, my husband, who's now deceased, and the head of the treatment center called me in, and they said, in order for our program to continue having government funding, we need to offer something for the spouses of the addicts and alcoholics. And they said, you get to do the job. And I said, I'm new here. I don't know anything about it. I had visions of working with my mother at her worst. <laughs> and that, that just didn't interest me. And they said, well, you're new here and that's why you get the job. <laughs> just hmm. do it. And I remember my ex and now deceased husband saying to me, patting me on the head and saying, well, just keep them happy, okay? Keep them from making problems and trying to get their husbands out of the treatment center. And to put it in historical context, back in those days when codependency first started coming to consciousness, it was mostly in terms of people in a relationship with an addict or alcoholic whether that person was a parent or a spouse or a lover. And that's where most of my research went in. I was working at a diversionary program in Minnesota, and that's people who were taken out of prison to go through treatment as an alternative. And so I was working with women who had, their husbands had been to jail three times, leaving them home with young children. I mean, it was probably the most diehard group of codependents you're ever going to find. While I was doing these groups for them and trying to process everything that was happening, I began to realize that their traits in their marriages were very similar to my traits in my marriage. I had married a man that was supposed to be clean and sober and director of a program, and yet he was still drinking. You know, he didn't drink in front of me. He would disappear for days or weeks at a time, get drunk, and then come back home. And I was allowing it to destroy me. So I had this dual learning process going on while I was running these groups. And in that whole period of time, it's so much easier to see what other people are doing wrong, isn't it? I mean, it's just so easy. And it takes a little more quietness to see what we're doing that doesn't work anymore. Yeah. And so I started getting replays of both these events in these groups, both what these women were doing that I could so outrageously see was to their detriment and seeing the same elements happening in my marriage, maybe at a lesser degree. I mean, my husband wasn't getting shipped off to prison, but the dynamics were the same. And that got me interested. It, it sparked, it inflamed my curiosity 
about whatever it was I was learning, whatever it was I was teaching. So that was the beginning of that journey. So what made you want to revise the book? Why did you feel like there needed to be an update now? Imagine yourself at the age of 65 or 70, looking through a yearbook from 40 years ago or 36 years ago and cringing. Mm. (laughs) You Mm. know, our social memes, our ways of interacting, we didn't have cell phones. We had just started with home computers when I wrote the book. It was my first book written on a home computer, the old-fashioned K-Pro, which most people haven't even heard of. And the reasons, the reasons for why now are, are varied. One is copyright. The copyright reverted to me. And so I had the opportunity to actually find a publisher that would engage in a revision of this book with me. And I had something new to say on the subject, something I had discovered in the interim between 1986, when I first wrote the book, and 2020, when it was updated, that I think is key, absolutely key to codependency and to our codependent reactions to other people, whether or not there's an alcoholic involved. And do you want to know what that is? (laughs) I do. I was going to say, what is that key? It's trauma and anxiety which we can get a start of it if we grow up in an alcoholic home or a troubled home. And I think anyone that's been on this planet since the year 2000 has at least some anxiety and trauma. I, 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 can't, I can't believe every, anyone has really escaped that. 9-11 brought a cultural trauma and a national trauma to people where if you look back at the TV shows that came out, I mean, you can tell the difference in the writing. Everyone had this urgency and this anxiety about them. And there was just a lot of trauma. I didn't know it yet. I had lived with trauma for so long that I, I just thought it was the way everyone felt when you had to like breathe deeply and keep your reactions tempered and try and get your heart to stop beating so rapidly. This is for the next book, Living by Spirit, which I'm mm-hmm. hoping to write in over the next two years. But I went through some different experiences that just absolutely pushed my trauma and my anxiety over the top. There were times I could hardly walk from room to room. I had mm-hmm. so much anxiety going on. Mm-hmm. And I'll talk about it in the book book to come but it started back in 1990 though when my son Shane went skiing for his 12th birthday with his sister and my son never came home he was killed on the slopes that started the trauma Mm. so that's why I rewrote the book (laughs) let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. 
If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. I want to spend more time talking about that. But before I do, just to bring people in who might be hearing about you and about this for the first time, what is your definition of codependency? And and how do you know that you yourself are codependent or someone that you know is codependent? The definition of codependent no more is people who have become obsessed with another person's behavior and feel compelled to control them to stop doing whatever it is they're doing that bothers you. I've now altered that just a little bit in that I believe codependents are anyone who consistently love other people more or to the detriment of loving themselves than they love themselves. It's just, it's hard for codependents to consider their own needs as being valid, especially in the face of other people's needs. And going back to your, your origins, at least from a relational perspective, what do you feel is the connection between addiction and codependency? You know, what do certain codependent behaviors have to do with, with addiction? Well, most people who are addicted, such or were addicted, are addicts, such as myself, have codependency underneath. And the addiction became a way with many, many people to medicate their own pain. And then it became a problem. How do you know if you're in a codependent relationship? If it consistently hurts and there's drinking and drug usage involved is a good, good sign. If you're in a relationship with someone, for me, the biggest sign is that we're constantly feeling discounted, not Mm. important to, Mm -hmm. not seen, not heard, not valid. And we don't even know how to express that. We don't know how to express that or that we can do anything about it if we even knew what to do about it. Do you think that codependent relationships can ever be successful? Are they all just terrible by by their nature or is there can there be something positive in them? I, I don't believe in one size fits all. I mean, even Michelle Obama was saying when when she went into therapy, she went there to fix her husband. Yeah. <laughs> and had and had her own lessons to learn. So I mean it's a it's not necessarily an illness or a mental illness. It's more of a human tendency, I believe. Mm. Only mm-hmm. sometimes if we get so trapped in it that we aren't ever taking care of ourselves, it can become illness. So thinking about illness, this idea of you know, diagnoses, you know, in our culture right now, there's so much talk about narcissism and, Uh, and love bombing. You know, I'm really curious about your take on that. And, and and what do you feel is the relationship between narcissistic traits or behavior, love bombing and codependency? Well, I know sometimes it annoys me. I mean, I do listen to a lot of the work, but any alcoholic is going to be a narcissist. You know, he's going to bluster up and yell and try and get his way like a five-year-old. And how do you deal with that? By loving yourself and taking care of yourself. I, I'm, 
I know all the I know that the internet is unavoidable. <laughs> and I also know that all these people espousing beliefs and coming up with new labels and no theories and new theories for healing. Those those are also unavoidable. And some of them are really helpful, but not a lot of them actually help us heal or mm-hmm. help us really pinpoint. I mean, to me, it's another way of pointing your finger and saying, it's him, it's not me. Well, something got me in the relationship and something is keeping me in that relationship. So perhaps it might be my job to find out what that is. Just diving into that a little bit more. I'm curious, do you think that it's more common for people that are codependent to get into relationships with narcissists? Yeah, it's two peas in a pod, the same pod, essentially. But a codependent can help an alcoholic keep drinking and an alcoholic can help a codependent keep being codependent. Hmm. I mean, it's a dance that works. The partners to that dance work. The problem is it is the dance of death, you know, and, and onto your earlier question, the woman who prodded me back in Minnesota in 1979, 1980 into attending my first Al-Anon meeting, she's been with her husband her entire life. One marriage. I mean, Minnesota is full of very devout Catholics. Anyway, he was a raging alcoholic for years. She was your classic codependent. She got into Al-Anon after years and years. He got into AA, and they're still together as husband mm-hmm. and wife. And they do seem, I mean, they're happy enough for them. I think that's interesting, too, this idea of, you know, defining happiness or you know, what is your threshold for for discord within the relationship? Another relational thing I wanted to touch on is talking about gaslighting. It's another big term that's been discussed a lot on social media, on the internet, about how gaslighting affects relationships. Mm. How, what are your thoughts about that term? Do you think it's being overused? Do you think well, that there's... I, I, I think it's being... Or misused? I would say maybe misused and abused somewhat. It's good to bring people's attention to it. But if you want to know what it means to be gaslit, ask anyone who's ever been married to an alcoholic. I mean, that's what they do. You're crazy. I wasn't drinking. No, I didn't do. I mean, they hold all the typical signs of gaslighting. And I know my first response when I found out I was codependent, was, oh my God, thank God I'm not crazy, I'm codependent, which goes to show the extent to which you can be gaslit mm. by a partner in a, in a codependent or addicted relationship. So let's talk about breaking the cycle and recovery. You know, how do you recover from codependency and, and how did you begin to cultivate a relationship with yourself where you were taking care of yourself? It's not an overnight process, yet it is. It's something we need to, or I needed to lean into. We are so instant results oriented since cell phones and computers. And this process of getting on a new path in our life, it's a slower path. It's not an instant path. It's a slower path. Sometimes we're going uphill and it's really hard. Sometimes we're going downhill for a bit and that's easier but it's really about beginning a new journey of commitment to our own souls, our own hearts, 
ourselves. And I'm a believer that there's not just one way, but that when each of us is ready, when we say, all right, I give up, I give up, I cannot control other people. I want to, I can't, if I could have, I would have, I want to start taking care of myself. I believe there's a path, the path to well-being that will open up for each of us. Mm -hmm. And that comes about, I think, as a combination of asking other people for help, not just being with other people to whinge about our situation, but to ask for help. One of our best traits as codependents is denial. Mm. We are so good at denying what's too painful to see all humans are. If it hurts too much, we can keep we can keep that elephant in the middle of the room invisible for a long mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. long, long time. But when we get ready to put down our denial and go into the truth of our lives and what really hurts, what we really see, what we really feel, we're about to cross the cusp into recovery. Mm. It can be very momentarily painful. You know, I mean, the truth is, who wants to lose their family? Who wants to, like, lose the wife or husband of their family because they have to say goodbye? Who wants to admit to themselves that their spouse or lover has been having affairs for the entire duration of the marriage? I mean, that's painful stuff. It's really painful stuff. So we need to be gentle with ourselves and give ourselves time to absorb what we call reality as our own souls can handle it. I think one of the big problems, huge problem I've seen lately in our culture is how disconnected so many people are from reality and how much that hurts our souls. When we're aligned with ourselves, when we know who we are, why we're doing what we're doing, when we're acting with intention, And we're coming from a place of being at peace and being aligned with reality and truth. We do well. But I saw a tendency in our culture started, I don't know, 2005, maybe a little before that, when instead of doing talk shows or news shows, people were all going for the hype, the drama, the crazier it was, the more they wanted you. And we're like monkeys in a way. If we see someone doing something that works, we'll copy it. We'll do the same thing. And so it became the norm. That's when talk shows went through their leap into crazy talk instead of helpful subjects being dialogued about. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. When it comes to putting together your home, a great rug can make all the difference. A rug is really what pulls a room together and creates harmony. Nordic Knots offers a curated collection of rugs and timeless, high-quality essentials. They collaborate with leading designers and are the insider rug brand gracing some of the world's most beautiful homes. They have a wide-ranging collection, but we'll just talk about a few favorites today. The luxurious Grand Collection is known for its simple design, stunning colors, and high-quality wool. But if you're feeling a bit more bold, their designer collaborations are made with world-renowned designers and interior architects. Their Goodweave certified rugs are handmade and woven in all natural materials, like their super soft and beautiful New Zealand wool. 
At Nordic Knots, they make the process of rug shopping easy and enjoyable. And they always offer fast and free shipping from the U.S. To explore their rug collections, head to nordicknots.com. Use promo code INNERCIRCLE to get free rug samples. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. So a few moments ago, you talked about codependents being able to ask for help. What does it look like to ask for help, especially because you've just outlined that codependents are really good at denial? Well, we we have to tell other people that we need something from them, which can be very hard for the stronghold of the family to do, to admit to needing anything from anybody. But yeah, we have to open our mouths and ask. And- can you give an example of what that would look like? Like, what is an example of something that you can ask for just to just to make it clearer for people who might be like, I don't know what to ask? Well, we have several options. We can talk to someone we know that we've seen going through a problem similar to ours, and we like the way they're dealing with it. And we can say to them, you know, if they live in our area, did you have help with this? Who helped you? Did you go to a group? Did you have a life coach? Did you read a book? What helped you? And most people most people are pretty happy to help if they have some information, some light they can share with us. We have to be careful who we ask for help because you know we can get led down some funky paths. But yeah, we have to ask for help. Open our mouths and tell people what it is we need or want and see if they can possibly help us. Most people, if they can, will. I love how you kind of illustrated what that could really look like. What's the right way to talk about your codependent trickers? After, before, or during recovery. <laughs> <laughs> I would say during recovery, because as someone who's also moved through a program, I think that there isn't that visibility before you step in and start the process. At least right. for me, that's been my experience. And we don't even know the language be- before we start the process. Tell me your question again. What's the best way to talk to people yeah. about this? What's the best way to talk to people in your life about this, people that you care about, your loved ones? First off, I think one of the most important things we can do, and people roll their eyes when I say this, is we need to take responsibility for our own triggers, for what triggers us. Separate ourselves from that source. Meditate. Do something that calms us down so we're no longer triggered. And then have a discussion where we're not blaming the other person for ruining our lives. Yeah. And thinking about not blaming the other person for ruining our lives we're moving into the holidays. We're in it. We're right inside of it right now. Let's say we're actually in the holidays. We are in the holidays. Which is, you know, again, trigger time, trigger time, trigger, Mm -hmm. trigger time. I'm interested in understanding from your perspective, if the codependent in your life is your parent as an adult, obviously there's a part of dependency and interdependency that is key to being a infant and a toddler and a preteen and all of that. There's, Mm -hmm. there's a, there's a time in our lives where that, that kind of meshing is required for survival. Right. I mean, when you have a baby, that is the ultimate codependent relationship. 
Yes. You know, and, and everything we do to take care of that human properly is justified. We are responsible for every mm-hmm. aspect of that mm-hmm. new human's life. However, as they go from that to age 12 and to age 22, we have decreasing amounts of responsibility in their lives. Most people have never sat down and asked themselves, what are my true responsibilities in this relationship? Mm-hmm. What have I signed up for? How long does this responsibility last? Mm-hmm. When is the other person responsible for doing for themselves? And how do I get them to do that, especially if they're not doing it? How can I make them be responsible for themselves? The truth is we can't make anyone be responsible for themselves. But instead of us taking the brunt of their consequences, we can let them take on their own consequences. I've never really seen any other way that people learn to change their behavior other than letting the consequences of behavior land in their lap and then saying, oh, well, you've got to figure that out. Don't you? You know, if you don't get up in the morning and you don't get your butt to school, you're not going to graduate. Are you? I mean, that goes on with anything. Mm -hmm. If we don't do certain things in the world, we have consequences. It's not bad karma. It's a consequence. It's cause and effect. Mm -hmm. And when we don't let other people experience their own consequences, it's what we used to call enabling. You know, Mm -hmm. we are, we are taking all their hard knocks for them and then wondering why it is we feel so bad and worn out. We have this ability to immediately, anyone that's practiced codependency for a goodly amount of time, We can immediately step in and take over someone's life and responsibilities. We are so good at that. Yep. But it's not good for us and it's not good for them, is it? Unless we're doing it on a brief, very brief span of time. Like our friend got sick and we need to help. I mean, there are times if we agree on a contract, if it's just mindlessly living other people's lives for them, then that's not going to work. It's not, it's not good long-term. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. CarbonX is an environmental company that aims to empower people to make a positive impact on the planet. They've created a simple platform to help you make up for your carbon emissions by supporting climate-friendly projects. You can earn shareable badges based on how long you've been offsetting and your subscription will go towards supporting new initiatives and carbon offsetting projects that have been independently verified to have removed CO2 from the atmosphere. You can choose a project that is meaningful to you, such as planting trees in deforested regions of the Amazon and investing in energy efficient and renewable resources around the world. For the Goop podcast team, CarbonX wanted to cover our team's carbon footprint. They donated a subscription for us to support an energy-efficient cookstoves program in Uganda. To learn more about CarbonX, head to their website at carbonx.com. That's carbon with a K-X.com or download the CarbonX app. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Thinking about what you said earlier about trauma and anxiety and how that filtered its way into this revision of your book. What is your advice for people that identify with having trauma and also being anxious when it comes to codependency as someone who identifies as Mm -hmm. 
being traumatized and having anxiety, you know, what's a core, core simple thing that you would want them to know? If I had one wish for every human in the world, it would be that they each and all of them find a way to meditate for 20 minutes a day. I know that sounds boring, but I don't know any way else for us to get centered in ourselves and stop trying to jump into other people's lives. Mm. It's just, mm. it, it revolutionized my life. I had a hard time meditating because I couldn't just sit and stare at a rose. That would just make me more anxious. I had to learn something that really worked for me. So that is what I would suggest. And even for young people, people like six, seven, eight years old, they make great meditators. And and, and the beauty of meditation, and no, I'm not selling a meditation course, but the beauty of meditation is when we're one with ourselves, when we're at peace with ourselves. Our intuition will work. We will automatically know what to do next and we will find ourselves doing it. We won't overthink everything and we won't feel like we frenetically have to fix everything. It enables us, I believe, to act with a degree of divinity, divinely guided behavior. We we tap into something greater than ourselves that calms us down. When we don't meditate, when we have no cure for our anxiety and trauma, that's what's dimming our light and everything we do is going to be dimmed by that anxious trauma ridden light. I mean, the one thing I really do agree with now is trauma bonding. Mm. I mean, most people have done that at some point, they've both been through a trauma, they meet, they fall in love. And then that blows up because they're both bringing vessels filled with pain and a story about how things never work out and all the pain they have and all the pain they're going to have and coming together and promising that they'll never hurt the other person. Well, it it just doesn't work. We have to get rid of everything that's in there, blocking our light, blocking our connection to ourself before we can bring a self filled with light to any relationship. Well, Melody, this has been such a beautiful conversation, and I know that it's going to be supportive for anybody who's negotiating their own relationship to codependency. For someone who read your book 20 years ago that is now hearing you for the first time, maybe in many ways outside of an audiobook, I think being able to speak about some of these things in this new light, and it's really powerful. So thank you for taking the time. Thank you for interviewing me. I, I feel real humbly proud of this rewrite. I mean, we went through every word in this book to make sure it was the right word to have in here. Thank you for your interest. Okay, can I throw this in at the very end? Totally. When we scroll on the phone till we've worn the skin off our thumbs, when we've gone from YouTube channel to YouTube channel, to the point that anyone else in the house is yelling at us for all the racket we're making. That doesn't help us get calm. It increases our anxiety. And if we can remind ourselves of that, I mean, we're better off going into nature for 10 minutes than scrolling on our phone for those 10 yes. minutes. Yes, it's, we are. I agree with that. All I want to say. Wholeheartedly. I, I don't have anything particularly new to say, although I think the new chapter in the book is pretty extraordinary. 
I shouldn't say that. Then people will be like, oh. no, but I, um, I think you can. It, it, it was an honor to be able to redo this book and bring it up to 2022, 2021. It's my gift to people. It's my gift to myself. Thanks for tuning in to my chat with Melody Beattie. I hope you'll pick up a copy of Codependent No More. Thanks again for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the Goop Podcast.